The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. And Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hello there. Uh, Folks, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that you're sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. And join our friends, Lindsay, Lino, and Caroline from Melbourne, Australia, where they talk to us about all kinds of really cool stuff, Catholic topics, tech, science. They're really good at science and entertainment. It's a great podcast. Check it out uh, wherever you find uh, fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash OZ. I said that Z for them. So (laughs) we are talking about... Uh, tech today and i uh, just to dive right in because we got a lot to talk about i wanted to bring up this first uh segment we're going to talk about th- this article that was in the atlantic and it's t- the headline is is old music killing new music and uh, yeah this is not, we're not a, a music podcast we're a tech podcast so why are we talking about it well because a lot of it has to do with technology and uh just i want to bring up a few high points from the article and then we can uh, discuss it uh among the, among the things that the uh, the the writer Ted Joya says, uh, old songs now represent seventy percent of the U.S. music market, and in fact, the new music market is actually shrinking. All the growth in the music market is coming from old songs. Um, he then compares uh, the st- uh, streaming, the the amount of streaming that's done to how much music is purchased, and. Uh, various things like that. And it brings up the fact that the, the best-selling physical format in music is the vinyl LP, which is more than 70 years old. And there's no signs that record labels are investing a new, better alternative because here too, old is viewed as superior to new. And he mentions also that um, the, the uh, music catalogs of some of these, the great musicians of the past are now being sold on mass, like, you know, David Bowie and even uh, folks are still like Bob Dylan, hundreds of millions of dollars and that sort of stuff. So what do you all think of this? Why, for, for instance, why is old music so popular among all generations, not just the, the older folks, but uh, so much popular that uh, young people are apparently not listening as much to uh, new music as they are to old music? What do, you, what do you think is, particularly from a tech standpoint, is going on here? Yeah, my, my opinion on the article is, you know, he talks about 70% of the music market And it's kind of like when people talk about TV, but don't include YouTube or Netflix in that equation. The music market has changed beyond, you know, obviously physical album sales or single sales and even beyond what, you know, we would consider the music, you know, market today of Spotify or or iTunes. Um, And really, if you're going to talk about the music market, you need to talk about, you know, YouTube, you need to talk about people who are releasing directly to, you know, services like Bandcamp or SoundCloud or uh, or even Twitch, uh, you know, doing live shows on Twitch. And I can talk about uh, one of my favorite artists there in a little bit. But um, I think 
I think the music market, the way that people consume music, if that's the right word, has expanded beyond, uh, you know, the old, uh, you know, the old paradigms of radio and physical sales and even even, you know, downloads and streams at this point. Yeah, and I'm seeing things like even in in VR, you know, uh, on the Quest, and there's a place called Alt Space and several other places that I'm seeing music concerts, live music, as well as uh, recorded concerts of, of people recently. But I'm seeing a lot of new musicians showing up there. Now, I'm not into the music scene per se, so I'm not going and pursuing and, and going to the concerts myself. But I see a lot of announcements of, mm-hmm. hey, this person's just wrote this song, they're dropping it out here on this this uh this evening and you know come come uh, listen one of the flaws i saw in the article is that the 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 writer compares streaming to purchasing like so you know it the 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 amount of music that people are uh, the kind of music people are streaming is is old music as opposed and whereas people aren't purchasing you know the the music that people used to purchase was new music and i'm thinking but that's not the same thing because you're not buying there the the opportunity cost to listen to a song on streaming is essentially zero you know i don't have to buy a song to see if i like it you know so it's it's what they should be comparing to is, is in, instead of purchasing it should be listening you know how much in the past how much was old music listened to compared to new music that's really what you mean instead of purchased and you know 40 years ago we basically had albums and 45 singles that was the formats we had to 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 get music if you did, and so you could only radio. buy albums or listen to the radio right but when yeah. streaming hit in 2006 you had spotify show up and pandora you could you could d- discover all kinds of music. The opportunity to listen to music, it changed. Like the way we listen to music changed in a fundamental way that I think a lot of the old the 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 old guy the old guys in the business never quite got, as it appears from this article. Yeah, I mean one one personal anecdote is uh, I put out my Robot Love album uh, twenty one year a little over twenty one years ago. And, in, you know, if you it was self self-published. So if you ordered a certain number of CD copies, they would also like put your, uh, you know, your recording on the, these new download services that were like, you know, brand new at the time in, in 2001. And so I went with that route and I now have, you know, boxes of unsold, unsellable <laughs> CDs in my basement. <laughs> but as new streaming services have come on, the the company that I, I had, you know, produce the the physical CDs who also offered, you know, hey, well, as new streaming services come on, or they weren't streaming at the time, we'll keep adding your your music to it. It's been added to all of those those new shops. And so um, you know, it's not a lot, but every every uh, you know, every uh, year or so I, I get, you know, a, a few a few pennies from the, the new <laughs> services that have that have uh, started streaming it. So it's, it is, it is interesting this, you know, how the, that one release over the course of 20 years, you know, the CDs just fell out like so quickly Mm -hmm. um, and online sales and streams just, just completely took over. But one format, the best selling, as he points out, the best selling physical format, in is in music right now is the vinyl LP, and he's like, but that's seven more than seventy years old. There's no signs that the record labels are investing in a newer, better alternative because here too old is viewed as superior to new. And I'm saying, no, the the very the oldness is the feature here. Like, yeah, because, nostalgia. Yeah, well, yeah. 
I want to listen to, I want to buy vinyl because I want to hear the hisses and pops and, and, and all of that. But if I want good new music, I just listen to the stream, which is, you know, I could get in superior quality. Like the idea that they should be trying to invest in a new format misses the whole point. We already have the best possible format in streaming. Like you have a, an exact digital copy and that gets better. You know, we have spatial audio and that sort of stuff, but we don't need a new physical format. The, the reason vinyl LPs sell a lot is because of their, their very particular nature of vinyl LPs. But when you compare vinyl LP sales today to any physical medium sales from 40 years ago, it's minuscule compared to that. Like, yes, it's the most, it's the most popular now, but it's, it doesn't even match up to what it was. Yeah, I mean, I'll buy vinyl copies of albums I have owned on CD um, just because I like the album cover. You can't see um, the people listening to this, but my wall behind me has uh, vinyl LPs framed up on the wall of some of my favorite albums. There's Stevie Wonder, Parliament, the Tron soundtrack and stuff. Mm. Um, But if I want to listen to any of that music, I'm not going to pull out my CD or even listen to the MP3 copies I ripped, you know, eight or 12 years ago. I'm going to listen to it on, you know, Amazon Music or you go to YouTube, YouTube Music and listen to it that way. I guess a different question I would ask is, you know, saying old new music new versus new music is how are the new musicians these days paying for their their gigs? In other words, are they getting any income from this? Is that what the issue is? Then that's why they're not, you know, he's not seeing a lot of new music. Uh or is it that that uh, only the the ones that are have been around a while, they're the only ones that are still getting income from residuals? He identify in the article, he identifies a little bit like there's a, there's fear of new music among state music label executives and that sort of thing. He identifies a few legal things that have come up in cultural things. But I think in general. I I think, and Victor, you may know this better than I do, but I think a lot of new musicians just aren't bothering to go to the record labels anymore and going around them directly to the listeners. And it doesn't take as many listeners, as many fans to support you as a musician as the record label needs you. You don't need to sell a million albums, yeah. right. basically. Right. Yeah. And and gone are the days where the record label would give you like, I don't know what the equivalent would be these days, but, you know, $50,000 and say, go cut a record. Right. Yeah. And they they may do that in some cases. But, you I mean, the the record industry is very much like the Disney Marvel, you know, Star Wars movie industry is now they're going to make things that are as safe and as consistent a product as possible because they're investing, you know, so much in the marketing and so much in the production of this that, you know, it's not going to be an exciting new product or a new sound in the case of the, you know, the records and stuff. It's it's just going to be what, what's worked in the past. And so the fact that we get like 25 Marvel movies that, you know, are pretty interchangeable, any new music we get from a record label these days is also going to be interchangeable. And, and yeah, I mean, the cost of recording in your home has dropped significantly. I mean, for under $200 and a, and, and a laptop, you can have, you know, what would have been a pretty amazing recording studio like 40 years ago, people couldn't even imagine it. And so if you have something to say through music, there's, there's no barriers to entry in terms of cost anymore. And um, yeah, record labels, you know, you'll, you'll never get noticed by a record label, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, take your music, 
to YouTube, take your music to um, a service like uh, DistroKid, where it's like a flat fee and you can release as much music you want to the streaming services um, and get, you know, get, get plays and, and compensated that way. But I don't think that, you know, anybody doing that is making their primary living um, from music. There, there may be some cases where people are just like on YouTube streamers who make, you know, they're living that way. But if you enjoy making music, just just go ahead and do it. And I mentioned also um, last point here, uh, Twitch, which I'm, you know, my kids use it. It's where people stream video games and stuff like that. I've never really used it. I have an account, but I heard that there was this this funk musician who plays bass and a bunch of other instruments named uh, Freak Bass. That's F-R-E-E-K Bass, B-A-S-S. And he does live shows on Twitch three times a week. So um and they're really interactive and, and fun shows. He uses a looper and builds up these tracks um, using lyrics that are suggested by the people watching his streams. And so, I mean, that's probably like the most engaging experience I've had with music in in years, you know, sort of go, sort of going to, you know, like a live concert or something. Um, so I think the landscape has just changed so much. And streamers can make money uh, streaming on Twitch, like where the people watching can like, I enjoy this and they can tip the 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 performer of whatever. And it's probably worthwhile. It, 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 the problem isn't, I think that old music is killing new music. I think the, the paradigm has completely been broken apart. The paradigm of music is no longer the monolith of the music industry. It's not in music. I mean, in some ways it's not an industry anymore. Right. In yeah. the sense of it's a monolith. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the really remarkable thing is if you look at like how humans have, have made and enjoyed music, Mm-hmm. The U.S. music industry is such an anomaly, like yes. the fact that we centralized all the power of our culture in the hands of a few corporations where music has always been democratic. You know, it's been Pa with his fiddle playing, you know, for Laura Ingalls Wilder. Or it's been, you know, the person around the fire, you know, telling telling stories and, you know, uh, beating a drum and stuff. And that's what music has always been. You know, the, the creative amateurs, if you will, um, you know, just producing this for their communities. And I think we're seeing that more in terms of like the local online communities, communities are specialized. The music that people enjoy in those communities is specialized and kind of like the one size fits all cultural juggernaut just um, doesn't really, doesn't really map to to who we are as people anymore. I don't think. And 50 years ago, 40 years ago, music, new music was found on radio stations and they, in radio stations were the gatekeepers. They controlled you know what people heard like the the to program bribes. director at a at a radio station was was like literally a a king in the music industry they were wined and dined and payola was the 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 thing you know the scandal before that where they were they were paid they were bribed to play certain music uh, but people don't listen to the mu- to the radio like they used to and the reason why so much of the radio music is old music is because old people listen to the radio stations. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the really where we, where we've gone. Yeah. And they, they buy gold and have their reverse mortgages and stuff and listen to, uh, <laughs> listen to the radio. But I mean, I love listening to old music because, you know, a lot yeah. of it I missed out on the first time around and stuff. So, you know, I was just listening to the, you know, Steppenwolf and, mm-hmm. you know, the Doobie brothers today, but you know, it, I go through phases and with streaming, I don't have to like spend $300 on CDs just to go through a musical phase. You know, yep. there's a great podcast that uh, my, my, my whole family listens to uh, called how music does that. 
uh, by this guy who's a, a music professor, but he's really engaging, really great storyteller. Uh, the, it's the the podcast is currently on hiatus right now, but it's got you know. 60 70 episodes that you can listen to and one of his episodes was called the deep playlist of generation z where he surveys he says every year when he with his classes he surveys what's on your playlists his students and it's fascinating like as he discusses like the depth of their playlists from new music yes but old music and it's like wow like they they have music from the 60s and the 70s on their playlists that they daily listen stuff and he's like why and cuz he cuz he, he compares it to like if when i was a freshman in college in the 80s it, that would be equivalent to me having music from before world war 1 on my playlist like it's just fascinating <laughs> and it's like but and so why is that well part of it is music today has more in common with music from the 60s than music from the 80s had in common with music from before the First World War. And all of that music is available in high-quality streaming. The it's entire, accessible, whereas before it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. You have the, the, the complete, you know, millions of songs for your approval perusal at any moment. I mean, my kids, I love the fact that they have access to Apple Music because they, they experience, on a whim, they can listen to any of the great music and i've got these great playlists of hundreds of songs from the last you know 80 years and then plus classical music you know and it's like they listen to it all and they love it and they love different stuff and and they wouldn't necessarily been exposed to that when i was a kid i was lucky because my dad had these albums uh from his from the 50s and the 40s uh, that he played for us. And so I loved when I was a kid, I loved Sinatra and, and all that's, you know, all that music from that era. So I, maybe I was an outlier then, but th now it is just, it's so great to see. Uh, but even like new music, there's new music that is being made out there that does break the mold and like K-pop as a genre. Yeah. Like this guy doesn't even mention it in the article, but K-pop is huge in America. Like K-pop, if you don't know, is uh, Korean pop music. It's usually these bands and it's there's a whole culture around it. And it's very uh, get this wholesome image. And uh, and the 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 fandom is is very wholesome and uh, supportive. And it's got this whole different image. But it, he doesn't even doesn't even notice it because it's not part of the American music industry. And I think that's part of it, too. And even on the labels, you'll still find unique voices. One of my favorite groups, and they've been going back now probably 15 years, is uh, Mates of State. Um, mm -hmm. They're a husband and wife uh, kind of like pop duo. But they, you know, they do pop songs, but they also do songs that are probably some of like the most honest, like takes on marriage that I've ever heard coming out of music, you know. Huh. Um, so, yeah, Mates, Mates of State is excellent. Um you know, uh, and the uh, metric, which is a, a group out of Toronto, which is kind of also a synth pop type type band, you know, so so there is good music on the labels. I don't want to say that there isn't, but, you know, you're you're going to kind of play to the least common denominator when there's that much money, you know, invested in, in making a product. Right. It, it The industry tends to play it safe, you know, in, in that, I mean, that's especially especially industries that are kind of dying <laughs> uh you know yeah. streaming really disrupted everything and fr frankly napster disrupted everything um wh when it showed up it it really it showed up and it, it it showed that people could access all this music without having to pay for it or wait for the radio station to play it and that was quickly followed by services like spotify and and uh pandora and itunes which 
for a long time was you bought music, but you could still buy it. You know, buy the track was a big deal. 99 cents for any song. And then Apple fi- finally got on the subscription bandwagon yeah. and, and it just blew open the door. And the whole, I mean, they, they disrupted the music industry and this disruption is in process for other industries too, like TV and movies. I mean, the fact is, is the, you know, as we saw in the pandemic, Going to the movies is no longer the exclusive, the only way you can experience big, awesome movies. And frankly, movies are not the only way to experience those sorts of stories. Streaming, you know, limited series streaming uh, uh, series, that sort of thing is also, you know, we've disrupted everything. And there's like a billion different streaming services out there. And uh, that's a whole nother conversation. But the fact is, is these monolithic industries have been democratized and uh, it's, 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 and it's the technology that really does it. So it's interesting to, to see and to look at what's next, you know, where, where are we going with this? I'm kind of fascinated by where we're going to end up. So what do you guys, uh, how do you listen to music? Uh, I, I didn't even ask you guys that. Uh, what's your, what's your main way of listening to music service or, or whatnot? Uh, how about you, Pat? Um. I'm not a big music listener. I have to be in the mood for it. But typically when I'm doing it, uh, it, I'm still listening to a lot of the music that I had purchased, CDs, etc., or purchased from iTunes, and I'm listening to it that way. I seldom go to Spotify or any of the others. Um, just, just I, I'm 75. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't listen to music as a, I'm going to go sit down and listen to music, you know, or mm-hmm. I like silence in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Silence. That would be interesting in my life. <laughs> well, I had four kids, so yeah, I know. that's why I know. silence is golden. <laughs> yeah, I know. Someday I'll be there, I hope. <laughs> How about you, Victor? How do you listen to music? Yeah. So if I'm going to sit down at home and, you know, with a decent pair of speakers and actually like enjoy something, it'll probably be um, Amazon Music just because, you know, price to performance ratio they have their hd which you know a lot of people have gone back to the original master tapes for these recordings and are Mm -hmm. releasing like 96 kilohertz or 192 kilohertz versions of it which you know preserves a lot of more of the analog warmth and the highs and the saturation and all that so i'll listen to amazon music if i'm in my my car just driving around um because i have uh you know google uh you know android auto I'll listen to it probably through YouTube music um, as I have a YouTube premium subscription as well. Trying to cut back on this, you know, subscriptions, but, you know, it's easier said than done. (laughs) Um, And and if I'm just on my phone, I'll probably just, you know, I'm probably on YouTube watching something anyways. And, you know, I subscribe to channels that, you know, will repost old, uh, you know, vinyl soul songs and stuff that, you know, you may never have heard of before. They may not even be on the streaming services, but these kind of like rare recordings and you can find a lot of that uh, once you start digging around in YouTube. So, I mean, I think, you know, I watch the only, you know, I watch older TV shows when I watch a TV show, but when I, I probably watch YouTube like five or six times as much as I watch like, like, you know, a written or even like a reality TV show at this point. And so it's just, uh, you know, you can go from watching, uh, you know, one of your favorite, you know, content creator channels and then like, oh, here's like a really old record I haven't heard before. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. this person did a live recording in Helsinki in 1973. I listen to that, you know, <laughs> and um, yeah, videos of like classic concerts, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is like Herbie Hancock, like playing, you know, with Chick Corea in 1975 or whatever it is. And they, this is on video. I had no idea. Right. So, yeah, it's like it's very exciting, like watching old old shows that way. Um 
so yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix, but you know, I love, I love my physical media. I'll never give it up. Um, because at some point the streaming services all go away, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just so much easier to have it at your fingertips. I have a plastic bin full of CDs in my shed that I have not looked at in probably 10 years um, from all the stuff I ripped. And now all that stuff has been, re- all the ripped uh, songs have yeah. been replaced by iTunes match where uh, you, you they, yeah, there was a point in the past where it would, iTunes would replace your old janky ripped stuff with r- nice new digital masters that they have. Um, so I'm, I'm an Apple music guy. Uh, I resisted the subscription for a long time. Cause I said to myself, I don't, listen to that much new music and therefore why should I get a streaming service when I have all the music I want to listen to? I overcame that. And and frankly, the new Apple one subscription that gives me all of the Apple services in one bundle really puts the, the nail in that coffin. Uh, and frankly, I love it. I listen to, uh, you know, I, I love the, the, the serendipity where I can say, I want to look at this. I want to look up this and go find it. And I, I listen to it. And I don't have to buy it. I don't have to, you know, oh, is it worthwhile? Let me try a few of the track. No, yeah. I don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't and, have to wait for it to be played on the radio. Or yeah. you don't have to wait for somebody to, to happen to have it and they come by and play it for you, you know. One of the things I've enjoyed is uh, I'll be on like Instagram reels, just, you know, flipping through and come across somebody performing and they'll say, oh, and check out my new release on iTunes or, you know, Apple Music or whatever on the services. And I'll just go over and, wow, this is really good. This is, I mean, so Instagram has been a way I've discovered some music. Uh, there's like this, this young woman who's a, a a piper. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Like <laughs> she's a, she's a piper and she's like in her twenties. And it's like, that's like a bagpiper. It's like, you know, I, I found, and when shanty, uh, the, the sea shanties were big, I'm like, under in, in what world would the music industry have let sea shanties become a thing, uh, you know, 25 years ago? But it just became a trend for a few months and and it was fun. And then you could discover I discovered several new uh, bands that that do that specialize in sea shanty music, you know, and it's like it's it, that's one thing I love about these services. So, yeah, I mean, that's the curation aspect, too, can't be understated. I mean, the radio was really good at I want to listen to quirky music. I'll go to the college, you know, radio station and there's a DJ there curating my experience, you know, choosing what songs to play. And when everything went to Napster, it was like, okay, well, I have to look for something in order to find it. And I'm not going to discover new music that way. But now with the streaming media services, you ask them to play one song, then they'll jump to another song that you didn't ask for. That's kind of in the same genre or it's completely different. It's gotten better over the years. But Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're like, hey, I like this, too. I want to listen to more by this. Uh, And so or you get that through your through your communities, through your online communities are are good at uh, curating your musical experiences as well. But that I mean, I think that's that's huge. Just, you know, tell me what to listen to next that I might like. One of the old tropes that that the author of that article brings up is this like the algorithms just give us the same music over and over again. It's like that's not really how it works anymore. It really doesn't like you listen. If you if you're just listening through a recommendation engine, it's going to give you all kinds of stuff. And, and frankly, sometimes it's a little too, you know, <laughs> disparate for my taste. But there's always the fast, you know, that's the skip button and I'm on to something new. Yeah, you wonder what the seeds are. Like, you know, in Minecraft, there's a seed that creates the world. You're wondering, like, when you ask for music, like, is there a random seed that's generated? Sometimes you, you get the same kind of content, yeah. but sometimes it's it's radically different and stuff. So it's just exciting to, to think about it from a technological aspect. 
that's one of the things I liked about the original Pandora model, which was you give it a song and then it plays music with that. So it, the the guys who started Pandora had developed this music DNA uh, remember, uh, yeah. uh, uh, formula and they were able to find identify music by this fingerprint and give you similar music to that without it all sounding exactly the same. And so, uh, you know, I would start a Pandora U2, you know, bullet the blue sky channel. And I would be like, wow, this is great. Wow. This is cool. And Oh, I like this one. You know, Oh, that's not so good. Uh, thumbs down on that. And, you know, don't give me more of that. And uh, yeah. sometimes that could get a little problematic because it would get fixated in one direction. And it's like, no, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't mind that. Like if I thumbs down something, it's not that I never want to hear anything like that ever again. <laughs> Stop playing Ben Folds 5. I don't want to listen to any more Ben Folds 5. <laughs> or I'm not in the mood for this particular yeah. song or artist right now, but that doesn't mean I never want to hear it ever again. And that's, that is a potential danger of the recommendation engines, but I think they've gotten a lot better about it over the yeah. years. The, the nightmare scenario of where this is all, all heading and I'll have to look up the links, but there are sites where it's just AI generated music in the style of an artist. So you give it like an artist oh, yeah. and it's it's munged together all of their recordings into a musical mush. And then there are random <laughs> seeds that generate lyrics and it uses, I guess, like phenomes, like just sounds from various recordings to generate these weird alien wow. sounding lyrics. And yeah, it, it's like. It's, it's it sounds like a night. Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare. But, you know, in terms of, you know, where this could all be headed, you could just say, like, you know, I want to hear a song about, you know, space and in, in the style of, you know, Frank Sinatra. And it just comes up with the new <laughs> oh, gosh, algorithmically generated audio mush. But that, yeah, I'll, I'll look up the links for the for the show notes. But okay. it, it's it's not there yet. But it, 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 if you want to know, like what a nightmare sounds like it. Yeah. Potential. Yeah. Awesome. Electric dreaming. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And electric sheep. So um, that's great. I, this was a lot of uh, fun. So uh, if if the listeners have any feedback they want to give on music, on how music they listen to music or their opinion on where music has gone and how it's changed, you know, for the good, for the ill, let us know. You can send us feedback at technology at sqpn.com. So before we move on to the next uh, segment, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including JP, Seth H., Marianne R., Karen V., and Jeff K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, so the this next this, uh, segment, this next headline is near and dear to my heart uh, and my wallet. So Apple had their peak performance event this week, and they had a number of new announcements. And it was interesting how they framed it. The uh, it was basically here's what we're doing with Apple Silicon, uh, and very the various forms that their new Apple Silicon chips are taking, including phones, iPad, and Macs. Um, but before they got to that, they did have a, a one mention of uh, announcement with their Apple TV Plus service, which is they said they will going to start to stream Major League Baseball games, a couple of games every Friday on Fridays um, that they're going to start streaming, which I think is an interesting toe dip into uh, streaming sports for Apple. Hmm. And um, you know, baseball is probably the easiest one because there are so many baseball games every week. 
It's like hockey, you know, it's just like this turn on the TV during the season. There's a game playing somewhere. Uh, so it's easier to get a few of those games for them to stream. But uh, I think the big prize is going to be NFL at some point. Yeah. With baseball, even if there isn't a live game, you can just rebroadcast an old one and nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think, I think they're going to have to do that for a while because yeah. there's no baseball. Yeah. I, I was Everyone was kind of you know laughing about like a nice announcement. The, the, the lockout is going on right now. So good good for you. You, you, got, you snagged good that. Planning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice planning down the road. <laughs> yeah. Someday we'll stream <laughs> the Major League Baseball games. But the real action was the uh, the ta- the hardware announcements. And so the, uh, the first First one was they, they announced an, uh, a new iPhone SE, the iPhone SE three. They they said they've got their top of the line A fifteen chip in it, which I think is very interesting. Which means the entire line is now running their top chip, which is something they hadn't done before. And uh, right. uh, the uh, Mac pundit Indianatko had a really good point, which is he feels like that that is Apple p- clearing the decks and getting ready for some feature, some service, perhaps. That's going to require that chip in the near future. So I think that's mm. interesting. When Apple has a chip like the A15 chip, is it is it kind of like Intel? Like, well, you know, we have the i7 and there's like 10 different models of it. Or is, or is the A15 chip like the same across? If if it's all? if they have something different, they'll call, they'll usually say like A15 Bionic or they, they, they okay. will they will have a, a, a modifier. But in general, it's the same chip. And if they like, for example, the M1 which is the Mac chip is actually essentially a modified version of the A15 or A14. I forget exactly how that went. Um, so the, there is the, like there's a similarity across the lines, and so that's sort of that's sort of the same same sort of thing. But it's interesting that the um, the iPhone SE, which is their I think probably their biggest seller, uh, because it's it's the basic model, it's the the, the basic new model that people want. It's four twenty nine, which is up because uh, that's the what the last one was three ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So but that's still a, very, very inexpensive yes. for uh, yes. you know something running the latest hardware, right? And it's got five G, which is now the whole line has five G. Um, and uh, starts at sixty four gigabytes. Yes. Yep. Goes, goes up wow. to two fifty six. Um, I have a lot of clients who are, you know, we're waiting for this to come out because they don't want a big phone. They don't want the high photography. They want a really good phone that'll work and is a good size and reasonable. And it's still the same basic iPhone eight design. So, like the first iPhone SE was the iPhone five design. This is the iPhone eight design. It's probably the gonna be the last SE with an eight design, which means it still has the home button on it in the big bezel on the bottom, which is kind of interesting. Uh, my guess is the uh, the next SE, whenever that is in a few years, is gonna be a new design with with face ID, or maybe they'll do that touch ID like they do on the button on the some of the iPads. Maybe they'll do it that way. But uh, I'm going to guess they're going to get rid of that button uh, soon. Yeah. So there's so that was one announcement. They also announced a uh, an iPad Air, an, an upgrade to the iPad Air, which looks really it's going to it has the M1 chip. It's got uh, uh, some other features that just make it like if you were thinking about getting an iPad Pro, I'm not sure that makes sense anymore because for the price, it's I think five it starts at five ninety nine. Mm. It's a it's a pretty compelling. Uh, you know, iPad at that price. Now, the, so they still get the 329 base model, 
which uh, still has the lightning port and uses the first generation Apple Pencil and that sort of thing. And then this is the the iPad Air and then they have the iPad Pro. And again, the iPad Air has the the smart connector so you can use the special keyboards. It's got the second generation pencil. And I'm looking at going, what is it I actually get if I get the Pro? I I didn't look at the comparison chart, but it doesn't look like there is that much you know, uh, benefit to getting the, the pro. I'm sure there is, but maybe the app docking or does the air do that now? Um, the, the widgets like or, get, or, or like the multiple apps or something. I, there was no, one of the main, they all do the multitask. Oh, all, okay. Yeah. Multi-screen. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, screens and all, what was it? Um, yeah, they, it does have five uh, G in the cellular models now, which is good. Um, and they, yeah, I'm trying to see what they it's slightly heavier than or slightly taller than the last version. Yeah, I, I would have to ca- get new cases, new yeah. uh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. New cases. I, I would like I really would have to go in and pull up a chart and look, you know, side by side yeah. to all the tech specs, because uh, so which t- tells me that the iPad Pro is going to be getting an update in not too long, basically. Um, so then there's the one that really caught my eye. <laughs> And that is the new Mac Studio desktop computer, which, I mean, if you think about it, this is the first new model of Mac in a long time. Like, they, they've had, I think the last new Mac was the Mac Mini. Like, we've, we've had Mac Pros for a long time. We've had iMacs for a long time. Hmm. But this is the first new desktop Mac they've introduced in a long time, this whole new area of it. I suppose the iMac Pro, but it's still an iMac. Um, and this i think replaces the the large imac in the line the the last imac 27 inch they had is no disappeared from the store after this announcement so i feel like they apple is saying we may have large screen imacs in the future but they're not going to be intended for this audience for this this computer and this is a pretty wild you know, very powerful computer. It's got the M1. It starts with the M1 Max chip. You can, they have this new M1 Ultra chip, which is now they said the final entry in their M1 chips. Presumably, that means there's M2s are the next ones to 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 be to to come out. And um, it just it looks like it screams, and it's got all the ports. I have an M1 Mac Mini, and I'm looking at this going, look at all those <laughs> ports. Look at all that speed. I've, I, I've said before the show, I've been waiting for the the M1 yeah. iMac, and I'm looking, I, I've got two monitors on my desk already. I don't I really need a new monitor. Uh, this is a very compelling computer to me. Um, even And at the price, it, it's competitive with what an iMac would have been. So it's a very interesting, uh, very compelling product. Uh, they also have their new... Um, 5K Apple 27 inch 5K studio display, which is about 1600 bucks, which is about in the range. Some people were actually looking at it being a lot more than about 1700 to 2000. So this is in that realm. And this is not your Dell, you know, 27 inch, you know, uh, VGA or not VGA, but you know, the, the UHD displays. This is, this is a high end studio display. That's what that's intended for. Um, and uh, it's got a built-in webcam, which is a 12 megapixel, which is probably the best Apple computer webcam you can get now. So that's pretty interesting. It has an A13 chip in it, 
the the monitor does, uh, which means it's doing it's it's doing a lot of the processing of the both the center stage, which is that feature that allows the webcam to dynamically modify its ang- uh, the the wideness of the angle as more people get, get, go into the shot. Uh, it also will do spatial audio, and the interesting thing is because you can connect iPads to this. And therefore, the iPad doesn't have to be driving all that, the the A13 chip in the computer. I mean, it's basically almost like an iMac when you think about it. Uh, so it's very interesting to see. I mean, Apple has really gone gangbusters in their Mac space over the past two years. Yeah. And as they ended, they said, uh, the, we have one more computer to, to come, the Mac Pro. And so my guess is that'll be it. Uh WWDC. So I, I know I'm going on and on. What do you guys think of these announcements? I thought it was a beautiful presentation, and I really loved what they were doing with it. I just it's not going to be in my my bailiwick. I mean, it's not going to be something yeah. I need. Yeah, uh, or even personally could get it and say I'll just use a portion of it. I mean, that's just just way out of my range. But but for somebody who's doing some serious work with music, graphics, video, it's Podcasts. beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I if I needed something like that professionally, you know, it would be easier to easier to justify. Every time Apple does an announcement, I'm like, oh great, what four thousand dollar computer are you gonna are they going to come out with next? And I guess this new Mac Studio <laughs> can actually be an eight thousand dollar computer. Yeah, um, or, or something. It looks like when you quick. max it, it goes to eight. Yeah, yeah, and so which is why I was like, you know, thumbing through it. It's like, oh great, a sixteen hundred dollar monitor. You know, you know, oh great, an eight thousand dollar computer. And then I got to the announcement about the iPhone SE, which is you know four hundred dollar, um, you know, smartphone that's pretty well specced. And I was like, okay, that that's that's more what I'm interested in. Is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, how can we democratize the the technology here? And and you know. If the goal is to get the A15 chips into as many hands as possible, that's the way to do it. Yep. And then they can hit the big activate Skynet button and then all of the <laughs> A15 chips well, come to and life. This, and... this way, there's something for everybody. It's for the one who's got lots of, of uh, need for power and for the somebody who wants something simple that is really nice. Yeah. At a decent price, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's, it, it's uh, yeah, Apple's been really, you know, <laughs> Apple basically came out and said, chip shortage? What chip shortage? And, you we know, got basically, our own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vertical integration is definitely the way to go with uh, semiconductors these days. And, yeah, yeah if, Apple, if Apple has a winning chip, winning chip design, yeah, put it in everything. Yep. And they're, uh, they're shipping, uh, you know, next Friday as we, you know, release this. It, it means that these are all built <laughs> waiting to to go so uh kudos to them so uh our next headline is about something up in your neck of the woods victor this is a the headline Absolutely. says a roadway will charge your ev while you're driving so your electric vehicle uh so it says the nation's first stretch of road to wirelessly charge electric vehicles while they're in motion will begin testing next year in detroit uh so victor you you know uh, more about this than the average person right yeah, so I work for one of the companies that's that's working on this this uh, project, the Michigan Central Project, which is a uh, wholly owned subsidiary subsidiary of Ford Motor Company. And what uh, we're doing with that project is uh, really looking to revitalize uh, the specific area of, of Detroit and turn it into a technology and mobility uh, hub. And, uh, you know, various clients, uh, you know, and, and partners uh, doing that uh, with us, including Google, um, 
is is one of the first partners to be named. And this is uh, a project with um, Electrion Wireless. Um, and what they do is they've developed this uh, roadway surface that will wirelessly charge, um, you know, you know, electric vehicles that are properly equipped. And while I can't speak for the company, all all opinions and, and stuff shared uh, on this podcast are my own. This is a piece of technology I've been, you know, watching with some interest since I've read about it a couple of years ago. But and this is kind of, I think, solves one of the big issues with electric vehicles, which is, you know, the whole they have to be plugged in, you know, physical chargers can, you know, people can, you know, steal the hoses or whatever, you know, the cords off of them and stuff. It, but the ability to just like, if, if you're someone who has a fleet or something and just be able to pull up over a, over a charging surface, you don't have to remember to, to, you know, plug it in or unplug it when, when, you know, it just takes a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, it, it simplifies the process considerably. I don't think, you know, in my lifetime, maybe we'll get to the point where I-94 across the U.S. is covered with this. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm curious to see how this uh, we, we have something up here we call a, a Detroit cancer, which is uh, when your cars rust out because of all the rock salt they put on the roads. <laughs> yeah. um, so we'll see. We'll see how well, you know, maybe it's heated or something. I, right. I need to look into it. But uh, but yeah, how well uh, how well it holds up to our Michigan winners is is definitely a, a something we'll see. But but definitely an interesting, you know, when you look at electric vehicles, it's not it's never just about the vehicle. It's about the infrastructure um, and charging is is a huge part of that. Yeah, it's interesting that they mentioned that uh, right now it, the wireless charger could add three thousand to four thousand dollars to the cost of electric vehicle, which is already high these days. But they're yeah. working to bring it down to a thousand to fifteen hundred. But what they don't mention is how much it would cost to electrify the road, like to put the 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 surface down on the road that that carries the inductive charge. Uh, and there's a lot of roadway in the United States, so this is a this is a moonshot sort of deal. I can almost see there being a toll road, you know, of just electrical. Yep. Uh, one lane is the electrical charging, and you pay a little bit more to get into that lane. That's that's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And where you may see this more is certain corridors in certain cities that have a lot of, um, you know, taxi traffic or, you know, um, you know, uh, bus traffic and stuff. And then specially equipped uh, vehicles, you know, mobility mm -hmm. vehicles that, that use it. Um, but it's very exciting. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea. I mean, the the big the big knock on electric vehicles is range, right? This is the big range and charging yeah. time. So, I, you know, if once the charge is down, I can't just pull up and fill it full of electricity and go on my way like I do with gas. It takes time. But if you're recharging as you go, I mean, that's the that's the holy grail, right? I mean, this is this is the 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 great i the great thing that could really make these vehicles more comparable to ice, you know, internal combustion. And not even electric vehicles, but as, you know, you know, autonomous vehicles and whatever you may think about that, you know, in, uh -huh. in urban cities. And it certainly makes sense, you know, if, if these are vehicles that are operating, you know, 20 hours a day or something, um, they're not truly autonomous. If, uh, you know, a fleet operator or somebody has to run and, and plug them in at the end of their shift or when they're not in use. And so the ability for these vehicles just to park over one of these charging pads, essentially, and be ready for the next time they're they're summoned, um, right. you know, and, and that in that case, it becomes easier to justify the additional cost because these are not, you know, personally owned vehicles. These are these are fleet vehicles that are owned by a you know transportation company or uh, a mobility company, and so, um, you know, they can be specced accordingly. And so, it, I think yeah. it'd be very exciting from from that perspective as well. Yeah. 
So uh, then our next headline, this is a bit of a just sort of cautionary tale. Uh, so the it's the headline is bionic eye patients are going blind again after manufacturer decides they're obsolete. And it's a little more than that. What happened is, is they, these people were had this bionic eye. These people were blind and this eye, which helps them to sort of see again. So it's not it's not Steve Austin, the six million dollar man uh, sort of vision, but it gives them. A facsimile of vision to help them get around. Uh, but the company that made it has gone bankrupt and basically is shutting down. And as these devices begin to malfunction, the people who have them can't get them repaired and uh, they can't get the services that they were getting before. And I think it really points to the danger of proprietary medical technology that requires ongoing service and care from a company that may not last as long as we do. <laughs> what do you think of this story? Well, it's kind of scary. I was thinking of things like pacemakers. I was thinking of things like uh, embedded insulin pumps and things like that. Any of those could be that same type of thing if there weren't enough of them and, and enough people. Uh, places companies enough companies making them right and uh so at that point uh uh, the eye is obviously a lot more uh newsworthy in terms of that but i can see people like if there was only one brand of of diabetic pump and and they go out of business and there's no parts for them anymore then they got you know they're back to with doing without again you know so that could be a, a real medical danger yeah it, it, it's always a question of adoption you know every technology has a point at which you know there's there's the you know the people like to live on the bleeding edge the early adopters and then it, it's point at which becomes kind of like you know a mass uh you know product and you know it's it's not clear to me at what point like a bionic eye ever would be you know beyond kind of a, a niche right. product it's this one wasn't very sophisticated which they thought may have you know hurt the rate at which it was being adopted um but yeah i mean whenever you buy you know, it used to be whenever you buy anything, you'd, you'd look at the company and say, how many years have they been in business? Are they likely to be in business, you know, five years from now? But you can't really do that with some of these technology companies because no, you know, technology company really is <laughs> is, is going to be around that long before it merges with somebody else. And that's what happened right. here. They, they merged with another company and the other company's like, yeah, we're not we're not really interested in eyes anymore, you know. <laughs> um, right. But there, there was, a, you know, all the time in the world, that classic Twilight Zone uh, episode with, uh, uh, you know, where the guy breaks his glasses oh, yeah. just as he yeah. is the only last man on earth and finds a library. They they have a story in the full um, in the full version of the story, a, a gentleman from the Netherlands who had come to really rely on this, had trained with it so you could actually like see well enough, uh, you know, and and uh, it, this in addition to the bionic eye, there's a, a headpiece with cameras and then uh, a visual processing unit on that you wear on your belt. Well, he was out and, and about and, and it fell off his belt and broke. Uh, Not even uh. the implant, but the actual unit. And so that's like my nightmare that like, you know, I have a nightmare about like dropping my cell phone into a lake or something, but right. just you know, dropping the thing that lets me see. Oh. And fortunately, he was able to go online and like find people who weren't using theirs anymore and like cobble something together with spare parts oh. um, and get and get back up and running. But yeah, that's kind of like a, a Twilight Zone episode right there. So, yeah, I mean, there's. <laughs> It's it's, you know, it, it's, it's really, yeah, there's there's no easy solution to this. You know, mm-hmm. they said that they had they had uh, 
fitted about 250 people with the device, and it costs about a half a million dollars altogether, including surgery, rehab, re, uh, all the various support services. You know, it's just, I mean, it's, we're at the point where we've got, we've developed these technologies, these medical technologies, but they're so cutting edge. They're so forward thinking that they're not really mainstream. And so we have to, we're, we're stuck. We could change lives. We could save lives with some of these technologies, but it's so expensive because it's so, you know, on the, on the bleeding edge of tech. And it's, you know, for the person whose life could be saved even, and no cost is too high, obviously, but for, but, but in general, I mean, you you just, you look at it and you go, wow. I mean, there's actually someone quoted in that article who talks about like some of these people, they're, there's usually previous sighted people who've lost their vision, who are desperate and they will take whatever lifeline. And if, and he says like from the beginning, this was never really actually a really good solution for most, for these people. Um, It's, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of money and a lot of uh, tricky surgery in order to get something that's really only a half baked solution is from his point of view. Um, we talked about how uh, tech companies have been uh, have abandoned products mm-hmm. that you know shut down servers that were necessary to run them, even though people had paid money for them, and you're out of luck. And this is a more of that. I mean, we are really dependent on with technology, not just I can buy a car and I can keep it running. Basically, you have to get spare parts and that sort of stuff, I suppose. But in general, you know, especially an older car. We've got cars from that were made by car companies that oh, were yeah. out of business 80 years ago that we people can still keep going. But today, it's not the same thing with a lot of this technology. It requires ongoing, very technical support from a company. And if they've gone out of business or merged and have decided to do another thing, we're out of luck and it can get really bad. Yeah, I have plastic totes filled of, you know, different pieces of audio hardware, you know, that. I bought to work with a specific computer that used FireWire and a specific version of Windows. And now they, you know, they won't work with the FireWire cards that are out now or the window, you know, and they, they haven't updated their drivers since 2007. And, you know, it, it, yeah, just, you know, things fall apart, I guess, as they say, and things become <laughs> obsolete and they, yeah. it, you don't want it to be your your eyesight. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I have a zip drive in my uh, in my closet here <laughs> with zip disks that. Uh, with with papers from college that I didn't want to lose and that yeah I yeah. and yeah it's a USB zip drive but it's very it was expensive and rare but it was the only way I could get access but it's it's that same sort of thing obsolete obsolete tech I was just thinking I've got several clients and family that have the you know implants uh electrode implants in the brain for Parkinson's or tremors and stuff oh, like yeah. that and I was just thinking yeah. I oh, I think there's two companies that make them at at least not just one but like if something went wrong and that company weren't there it could be stimulating the brain in a wrong way it could you know and that's major surgery to try to go in and take that thing out oh that's just scary (laughs) right yeah some of the patients in this story were saying like their their implants don't work anymore it stopped working but the doctors advised not having the surgery to have them removed because it's more, more dangerous. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And one guy said he thought he might have a brain tumor, wanted to get an MRI, but you know, the doctor said, well, I'm not going to do an MRI. You have this Metal. thing in your eye. It could, you know, rip, yeah, it could rip out and call the company and see if it's okay. And couldn't get a hold of maybe at the company, you know, so it didn't get Oof. the MRI. Wow. Scary. Yeah. 
All right. So let's move on to our final segment where we will just discuss our picks of the week. And uh, Pat, you're up first. What is your pick this week? Why me first? Okay. Because so, <laughs> um, you're on my list first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not alphabetical, huh? Um, nope. So what I was looking at was there's uh, I had just recommended this particular app to several people. It's called Windy, W-I-N-D-Y. And they call it a noise generator. But it uses real wind sounds, like the wind that's really recorded on the top of a hill or down in a valley or by a, by a stream or whatever, and it's, it's actual wind recordings. And they've got about six or eight scenarios, and you can, you can do things like add uh, crickets or add a bird or add uh, water or the sound of a fire. And what what I use it for is not all the time, but occasionally I'll have trouble getting to sleep. And so uh, I don't have a noise generator at home. And even if I did, I wouldn't want Randy, my husband, to be interrupted by my needing that sound machine. Mm. So I've got some very, very soft earbuds and my phone. And I've got an adapter that I can use the lightning connector to go out to the earbuds because I didn't want to wear Bluetooth all night. Uh, but these, these, uh, it'll, you know, shut off after, uh, a certain amount of time. I can program it up to, you know, three hours or down to 20 minutes or whatever. And so I can just listen to these, the sound of the wind and different strengths and, and different additional sounds. And it just helps me go drift off to sleep when I'm having that trouble. And so that was my pick is the kind of the combination of the really soft earbuds and uh, the app and the if you needed an adapter from lightning to audio, mm -hmm. then the, and I, I pointed okay. that out, too. Yeah, you don't want to accidentally swallow your AirPods while sleeping like that guy did in the in the yeah. uh, that news oh, story. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I've I've done some field recording of, you know, ambient nature sounds and that sort of thing and wind can be very tricky to to capture. So, um if they if, you know, this has really good wind sounds, it definitely would uh be worth checking yeah, out. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Now, it it mm. does come where a, a background music can be played. I turn that off. I just listen to the nature, you know. One one thing that uh, that helps uh, me sometimes is I ask, you know, our virtual assistant pal who's right behind me, so I won't say her name, but, you know, <laughs> uh, you just say play the sound of rain and there's a, a, a stock, you know, it's not an add on or anything. It's just a stock uh, sound that they that they play. And it's actually a pretty good one. I mm -hmm. guess my my point was, is I needed this to be personal, that it didn't it didn't yeah. the sound wasn't going out in the rest of the room. All right. Uh, excellent. And Victor, what's your pick this week? So uh, I know Apple has its has its fans. I myself am a Nintendo fan. Um, our kids love playing Nintendo games and all of our four boys have grown up uh, playing the staples. You know, you got you got your Mario, your Zelda uh, and the other, uh, you know, big member of the Nintendo trilogy is Kirby, uh, a lovable uh, pink sphere whose uh, unique ability is uh, Kirby can suck up his enemies, swallow them, and then gain their powers. And uh, he's been in dozens of games. Uh, he's in the 30 years or so he's been out. But uh, his first uh, new game for the Switch here is an open world type uh, game. And it looks really fascinating. I've, I've intentionally left myself in the dark as much as I can about this game, just because I want to be surprised and, and amazed by it. But um, it looks like Kirby is walking around a fully 3D world that looks like some sort of like post-apocalyptic, like Wally world, uh, you know, from the movie Wally almost. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to his usual abilities, Kirby can now 
stretch his mouth around things and uh, like a car and you can drive Kirby around like a car. So we're all looking forward to this game. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I can I can tell that I don't know how long a game it's going to be. But, you know, given the amount of time I have available to play games, if a game is short, um, that works just fine for me, too. So <laughs> cool. Nice. Excellent. But yeah, it's looking really good. Should be and, out later this month. But there's a, a, a downloadable demo now. Yes, there is. If you own a Switch, you can go to the eShop and, and get the demo, uh, which I have not played again. Uh, trying to keep myself <laughs> right. uh, as in the dark not. as I can. But yeah, but yeah so if, if if it looks like something you might be interested in, you, you can check it out. Um, and if you don't own a Switch, the the one to get is definitely the, the newer OLED model, which has a much uh, better screen and extended battery life, if you nice. can find it. If you can find it, yes. Excellent. So my pick this week is a decidedly low tech, uh, but it's still tech. Uh, I'm recommending a generator, a portable elect- electricity generator, the Br- Briggs and Stratton S3500. It's a 3500 watt portable generator, which I bought uh, because uh, after one too many times of losing power at my house yeah. and having to spend time, you know, worrying about losing the fridge and losing the freezer and trying to stay warm and all that sort of stuff. So this is a portable generator. It's, it's got a couple wheels. You, I wheel it out of the shed, set it up in the yard and get it going at least, at least 30 feet or 20 feet from the, the door. Cause you don't want the fumes coming in the house. And I run uh, the power cord into the house and plug things in. And I got a power cord uh, extension cord that has three heads so that I can plug in multiple things. But uh yeah, we had a power outage a few weeks ago where we were out for most of a day. And uh, first thing in the morning, uh, I plugged in the coffee maker, the toaster oven, and the uh, hot water pot. So we were able to have coffee and tea and toast and bagels. And then once we were done with that, I pulled it over and uh, I had to pull out my fridge to get at the power cord there. That That's a that's a little flaw in the design of my house. Yeah. I, could, I might figure try to figure something else out. But uh, the fridge and the freezer are near enough each other where I could plug them both in. And so that was a big deal to me. So I was able to plug them both in. And it uh, it's, was pretty good. Like we, I ran it for maybe five hours, and I didn't run through a whole five-gallon uh, tank. I wasn't really taxing the uh, the generator all that much. The more the more stuff you plug in, the 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 more juice it uses, the more uh, gas it uses. So I guess I've got three five-gallon tanks. I could have run that for quite a long time, maybe a couple of days just on those tanks. So uh, it's it's $553. It's not the most expensive. It's not the least expensive. I mean, frankly, if if you really want to you know, go all out, you could get a whole house generator that automatically kicks on when, you're, you know, when the power goes out and keeps everything running um, seamlessly your entire house. You could do that. Um, but uh, this was in my price range and just enough yeah. for, for us. The, yeah. the way I look at it is if you have a lot of, you know, a big family and go to Costco for your food, probably the food in your chest freezer is worth more than $500. So yes, it's really about protecting that investment. Um, if you find yourself using it a number of times, you may want to look into a, uh, a manual transfer switch which is like a mini electrical panel that sits next to your main electrical panel. Mm -hmm. And you can choose a certain set number of uh, circuits for your house that run through this switch. And there's a plug on the outside of your house. So you just plug your generator to that plug on the outside of the house. 
go to this transfer switch flip up. And then those particular circuits in your house, your freezer, your refrigerator are now running off that uh, external generator plug. Right. And um, if you've run circuits yourself to your electrical panel to, you know, you, you probably could do this yourself, but please Get an, electrician. Um, get an electrician <laughs> and I, yeah. ideally not your your brother-in-law who is an electrician you know like yeah, hire yeah. A, a licensed bonded you know electrician to but the, the switches themselves are you know a, a few hundred dollars and uh they make a, a really good uh, addition to your generator setup if it's something you find yourself using more than you know once or twice a year it can it can make all the difference yeah it's a big deal that'll be helpful because especially you have to run the power cord into the house which means leaving a window or a door ajar and in the winter, that can be <laughs> quite cold. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, that might be worthwhile. Good point. So we did have an episode last summer where we talked about tech for disaster preparedness. And that, that this is was part of that discussion. We, we talked about that. And you get a lot more on that. And, uh, Victor, you had a book that you want to recommend to folks on disaster prep. Yeah, it's it's a new book that just came out. What with uh, the situation in the world today that we are living in. And it seems mm-hmm. like you could you know, listen to this at any point over the last two years or 20 years and <laughs> apply that equally as well. Yeah. Um, you, you know, if, if you're looking at, if, if you have a family and, and you're looking at, you know, gosh, what would happen if, you know, something did happen and we couldn't make it out to the store or, you know, if there was no, you know, public water utility, you know, what, what would we do in our house in that particular case? And there's a brand new book out from Creek Stewart who um, has written a lot of books about, you know, being prepared for disasters and and uh, that sort of thing. But this brand new book just out this this year, The Disaster Ready Home, a step by step emergency preparedness manual for sheltering in place. Um, it's not an expensive book, about 17 bucks if you want the print version, um, full color photos of everything that he does, helpful links, uh, you know, to, to to where he gets what he does. But it's really based, you know. What are some simple, practical things you can do for not a lot of money to help prepare yourself, you know, your food supply, your water supply? Um, you know, what would you do for a bathroom if, you know, the toilets didn't work? That sort of thing. And and really practical down, you know, simple solutions. And I, I can recommend it just for the cost of the $17. It really gets you thinking about, uh, you know, mm-hmm. some things that you can do to help protect yourself. I mean, this for even even for if it's you know short of an apocalypse, like things like the ice storm in Texas last year, or yeah. uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, that he, sort of stuff. He cites that in the book as one example of a disaster that you would want to be prepared for. So yeah. it's really recent examples. So excellent. Yeah, I think about it, and I, as I mentioned in that episode, it's uh, it's something that's on my mind. So I may pick that up. All right. I think that about does it for us this time. We would love to hear your opinion of our discussion or any feedback you'd like to give us or any suggestions for topics to discuss. You can contact us at the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And of course, you'll find all those links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. If you can, in fact, please do go to Apple Podcasts and write a review, a nice five-star review. Spotify now does podcast reviews as well, or wherever you can write a podcast review. It really does help us a lot when you when you do that, and it helps other people discover the show, and it uh, helps helps people. So please share the podcast with your friends as well. Until next time, Pat Scott, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Glad to be here. Thank you. And Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.